0: Hello everyone and welcome to The Best Damn Camp, a Riordanverse read-along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome back to the show. Today we continue our timeline journey with The Titan's Curse, Chapter 15, I Wrestle Santa's Evil Twin, and Chapter 16, We Meet the Dragon of Eternal Bad Breath. As always, I have my points to focus on, so today we've got character, story, and generally what I thought of it. So basically what's been happening for the entirety of the Titan's Curse. But to begin, here's the synopsis. With time running out, a fight with an old god leads to a prophecy and Mr. D finally being of use. Now as Talia questions her place, we meet the chasers before the Battle of the Summer is due to arrive zoe meets her family once again and now in joe uh, now injured our trio faces the globe and yes that is a bad pun for who we are about to meet and you guys will see what i mean in a moment so uh yeah that's kind of basically the summary of of this chapter really i don't think i've got anything else to, to start off there um So let's just get into it and let us start with chapter 15 because as always, as I like to say, 15 comes before 16 so that's why we start with chapter 15 and not chapter 16. And chapter 15 is I Wrestle Santa's Evil Twin and this is the overview for chapter 15. Statues have a better sense of humour than me and I think I will forever be jaded by that fact. Sally Jackson is better than everyone, and I don't think anyone can fight me on that, because I think that is just a resounding truth of the entire Percy Jackson fandom. Old man Neris was forgotten. Gotta love insignificant plots. And yes, I'm starting the sass early. A plan is put in motion. The capture of Neris, old Nerius, Anyway, equals elder abuse and the real of not a girl, Bessie the cow. I'm not going to say the actual name because I can't pronounce it. <laughs> killing of an ins- bleh, killing of an innocent ensures victory, because of course it does. Because that's life, and oh god, just that. But buzz- yeah, so. With Horn and mercenaries at their feet entirely attempted, Mr. D comes to the rescue. With this battle won, it is time for Zoe to return home. And that's pretty much the overview for chapter 15. So, like I've come to find, there is both a lot that happens and also not really anything that happens in, in this chapter and that's that's a bit of a problem (laughs) so uh, i would just be looking at a story for this chapter because as you guys know i don't know when it was that i said it and i'm not going to look back at it because that's too much effort on my part but i am consistently frustrated by the amount of insignificant and piling up plot points that occur in this story one of them is dealt with here with another then kind of being added but also was there from the start but then didn't really connect so it's kind of an addition. So the Neris plot point has been dealt with and it was, in fact, the most insignificant plot point in the entirety of this book thus far. So this is just, this is just becoming a thing now. Like. Like, while Bessie's importance is revealed and it ties into the mythology of the past, like, Bessie ha- was nearly sacrificed in the past by a ally of the Titans who was a giant and basically you have to s- kill Bessie, take out their entrails and burn them and I'm guessing you make a, a wish or something of who's gonna win and that helps lead to their victory because it's like an old power of killing an innocent sort of thing Um, and that nearly happened in the past during the original Titan War so you know connection's there, fair enough Um, but then the, the nearest thing like I said just ends up being completely insignificant like it's two, three pages of them preparing to go capture him, they capture him and then he just reveals that Bessie is the monster that they've been looking for as part of the prophecy. Now that's it. Like, why have him at all? all. We could have easily just had Bessie appear at any point in the book, seeing as Zoe knows what the monster is because Grover can speak animal language and got that information and then Zoe then confirmed it. Like, yeah, just have Bessie appear at any point and that information would follow and be the exact same thing as we have in this chapter just minus the unimportant and needless Nereus aspect like there is other than including another mythology-based thing and again this is another recurring theme other than the random mythology based aspect there's no reason for Nereus to be in this chapter or to have even been brought up in the entirety of this book it's just such a unnecessary character to bring in that holds no significance. Get rid of the pages where you bring him in and the mentioning of him previously. Use those to build up Bianca's character instead. <laughs> ah! Uh. Also, just for the prophecy aspect, just in general. I'm not sure how, how I feel in general about this killing of an innocent prophecy, or, or the prophecy just in general. Because... Well, this prophecy of the, the burning of the innocent entrails aspect. Not the the actual big prophecy that's been known from the first book. Well, well not really known, but we, the god of this age 16 child thing. Because um, the, the, the only thing to do with this entrails innocent prophecy aspect is that the, the only part that it serves is to show that Talia is she there's the chance that she could be pulled over the titan's side like she's questioning so much about how the gods work and how the gods are and who she is with with being on the god side and such but there are so many ways to do that instead of having this prophecy to add more attention or give her more power i don't know like i see the prophecy itself and having it being an innocent beast that leads to an instinctive sort of seemingly element of drawing to power just undoes the whole like oomph in general of like this back and forth that we have seen talia have we have seen her questioning the gods not as much as we could have admittedly which is like why i think if we got rid of this whole ridiculous innocent thing and just input more of her questioning the gods in it when she is having her conversations with Percy or when she is mentioning things here and there have her mention this bit and kind of maybe even similar to Percy where he sort of saw uh, Luke's side to the war and Luke's reasoning behind him joining the Titans like he understood it he didn't agree with it but he understood it have that with Talia as well Have her be shown to have that questioning nature. Just maybe on a bigger scale, which makes us wonder, oh, could she join the Titans? Because then that that would kind of work with the whole prophecy of the child at 16. Because if she joins the Titans, that gives them that extra boost of power because they have a child of the big three on their side who's chosen them over the gods. That would have more oomph than this ridiculous prophecy. Like, uh, like I said, like, we've shown that she can be easily frustrated by the life of a demigod. Like, she was turned into a tree. That's, you know, that's justification enough, really. And she doesn't have any faith in her father Zeus or the gods for good reason again. Now, this whole book is just an example for her. And everything that's happened in this book, like Annabeth being kidnapped, Artemis being kidnapped as well, only because she went after to rescue Annabeth. Well, she she ended up rescuing Annabeth, but that wasn't her initial intention. That is evidence enough for Talia. Maybe even have her have the same dreams as Percy or something similar to what Percy was having. So she knows... sort of selfish nature of the gods and that artemis only saved uh, saved annabeth because that's what she does but she also wasn't there initially to save annabeth it just ended up working out that way and that's what talia sees instead she doesn't see a goddess putting herself at risk for a demigod girl she's just seeing a goddess appear see and then that instinct comes in she wasn't actually there to save annabeth in the first place to have her focus on the negative aspect. Unlike Percy, who was seeing more the actual quote unquote bad guys in this situation, being Luke and the general being the bad guys and seeing what Artemis was doing was to try and help rescue Annabeth. Have him focus on the gooder aspect, have Talia focus on the badder aspect. That 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 would work out. Like that would show that would feed in through this possibility of her we'd question whether or not she would stick to the side of the gods which would lead to more interest whereas having this prophecy it takes away sort of her individualism a little bit i find because in our heads we're not going to be thinking oh is choosing this it's more oh she's just drawn to power which just kind of undermines her character a little bit like yeah she has this leadership quality but i wouldn't really say she is like power thirsty or like someone who was desperate for power which is what this kind of makes it appear to be neither how it how it's described and how it's mentioned afterwards was that she was drawn to this idea of power i'm not a fan of that i don't like that i feel like it just undermines her and her character a little bit whereas have her just have her be kind of like a, a luke a little bit but Like, kind of more so than Percy, because Percy could have easily turned to Luke's side as well, but he's still more positive and has more loyalty to him than Luke did. Whereas Tanya, she has huge justifications for wanting to turn against the gods, but has her own senses of loyalty as well, or something like that. I don't know, I just... Build up that area of her character... Make us question who she'll choose. Because, like, at this point, we don't know who she's going to choose. But from how the prophecy works, it's going to make us think, oh, she's just going to choose power. So she will join the Titans. From how quickly she was drawing, like, she was staring at Bessie and she was thinking about it. And so we start seeing this more negative side. I don't know, I just. It doesn't serve an interesting enough personal conflict for the godly parentage conflict that is the entire series instead it just has more mythology mumbo jumbo alongside it that kind of undermines this human-like conflict that has been kind of the driving point of this series so it's a little bit frustrating i don't know if any of that made sense but hopefully you guys <laughs> understand where i'm coming from um and actually, that's kind of what i have to say about chapter 15 like i'm not a fan of the prophecy the narrowest thing was dumb um and held no significance whatsoever don't write something in unless it's going to be important i i still struggle with that admittedly but like i'm not published so (laughs) um yeah i don't know um eh, let's just move on (laughs) so next up of course is chapter 16 we meet the dragon of eternal bad breath and this is the overview for chapter 16. Our Foro becomes a trio, as Grover takes Bessie to camp. And yes, I couldn't think of what the term for four people is outside of trio. So I went with Foro. 0 um, <laughs> In Edith's and some wheels, Talia takes them to the chases, and I rage at the normalcy of the family. Obsessed with his planes, Professor Chase is distracted until he hears about Anna Beth. Hopped up on snacks and given a vehicle, the gang heads out. Strong mist and power, pat- we say goodbye to the Chase's car as lightning strikes intending to kill. Entering the grounds of Zoe's sisters, they head forward. Injured by her dragon laden Zoe leads them into Mount Orthis. Here, discovering Artemis, Danger arrives as the form of Luke and Zoe's father, Atlas, holder of the world. And that is the overview for chapter 16. And, um, yeah, th- quite a lot does happen in this chapter, admittedly. Really. I do, well, near the end. But,. This is where the problems for me start. And you guys may know if you are subscribed to my YouTube channel for my Percy Jackson content, I did a video about why does everyone hate Annabeth. And what I'm going to talk about now sort of ties into what I talked about in that video. And that is relating to her relationship with her family. And this chapter, to this day, does my head in and it honestly it kind of drives me to anger because oh my god they make the chase family so normal and so concerned about annabeth and seemingly really kind and all these sort of things and all i can think is now not only does percy question annabeth's stories about her family but we as the readers have as well hence why actually a lot of negative feedback that annabeth as a character gets is oh she she really overtaught everything that happened with her family and i'm like we don't know what happened with her family we're seeing this from an outsider's perspective and honestly do you expect an abusive like family to show their abusive side to outsiders that is not a thing and yes unfortunately i will be Briefly talking about abuse, so um, I will hopefully be able to put in a time here to, to skip from, so uh, skip to 23 minutes and 5 seconds to skip this part. Hopefully I've been able to do that now. But yeah, the chases, and this is relating to character. So the chases, I am really not a fan of the characterization, And like I said, as I've mentioned, it makes it appear that Annabeth was honestly unreasonable about her family and over exaggerating their abuse like tendencies like the fact that they made her feel unwelcome like the fact that she was told that she was a danger to their family that she herself was dangerous which led to her running away at seven years old and also, the few times that she does return home, like that we see in The Lightning Thief, we then find out in The Sea of Monsters, it didn't work out. And I also want to point out here also, so they're in San Francisco right now. And we know that um, San Francisco, as Annabeth has said, is dangerous for demigods. And her father knows this, yet he moved them there anyway. For his job even though he knew the risk to Annabeth showing that he kind of cares more about his farm uh, more about his job than her if she's going to be more at risk because there are going to be more monsters in that area and also we know now that Mount Orthus, you know the epicenter of the Titans and this dark monstrous power is there in San Francisco If more monsters are going to be drawn to her, because obviously she's the daughter of a powerful goddess and monsters are drawn to her more, as we've seen in the past, her family is going to be put more at risk, which means they're going to hate her more, which means they're going to resent her more because she's putting their children at risk, which is going to lead to her having a terrible home life again. But, like I said, we also know that she's always been made to feel like a burden, And the fact that it does take Professor Chase a while to actually ask what happened to her and even be easily distracted out of the fact that he knows that his daughter is dangerous by his planes says a lot. The guys turn up. They say it's about Annabeth. They look grave. He says, "It's you should come in. He takes them up to their study and then starts talking about his work, forgetting that they are there about Annabeth and they are looking sad, hungry and lost. And again, they are children. They will be about 14 at this point as well. Children. He's distracted by his planes. He gets distracted by Zoe, who's correcting the placements of his figurines on the table only then for when Tali reminds him that his daughter is in trouble does he get back onto the topic. I'm sorry if children who you know are in connection to your daughter because they tell you who are looking, honestly they'll all be looking beat up because they've just been in a fight as well just the previous chapter they'll be looking exhausted and just in general again, children I've turned up about your daughter they haven't said anything yet but their faces said it all and he still managed to get distracted by his job and only refocusing when they tell him she is in trouble i just honestly just this whole thing does pee me off annabeth talks about the horrible stuff that she went through we've seen it both in the fact like i said that she went back home and it never worked out yet we're now being shown that they're nice and caring people because mrs chase has brought the kids food she is saying oh they best they best come in then i'll make them food or we they best get to it and stuff like that Um, i think she also says something about make sure that she'll that she knows that there's, she always has a home here or something like that. And I'm like, what? She's never been made to feel like she has a home there. Whenever she's returned, again, like we've seen, I think it's been twice in the book, she's returned and then Well, you know, we find out about it. So she left at seven. She returned once previously and it got bad, so she left again. And then she does the same thing in The Lightning Thief. At the end, she goes home. And then in The Sea of Monsters, we find out it ended badly again. So that's three times she's left home. Before the age of 14. Because she's been made to feel like she's not welcome. And... (laughs) This is how parents have made her feel, and yet we are made to question in this moment, and even Percy is kind of questioning her in this moment about how bad it could have actually been. And just to me, it just, it makes it seem like Annabeth was exaggerating or making it up, and it just feels a, li- a little bit like gaslighting to me. I don't know if, that's, if that is correct, but it feels that way. For us to have been made to question Anna Best experience and whether or not someone who actually lived through it is making it up. Even though all the evidence that we've been given thus far proves that she isn't. <clears throat> right, sorry. I'm going to move on now because that, that I literally could talk about for the ages. But I've got the video that talks about that a little bit more but as a whole yeah it's just, it's dumb i hate it i hate it so much so we will move on now to zoe instead because zoe actually i find really interesting in this chapter in the, in the past couple of chapters actually as well so everything thus far has been leading up to her confronting her past and what led to the beginning of her life as a hunter really she is hurting Especially from the instant rejection that she got from her sisters. Like, they turn up in the garden and her sisters say, we see no sister here, we see two demigods and a hunter. And I was like, oh my god, that would hurt. And we also know that she was erased from history. Which, ouch. But she holds the confidence, and she takes all of this in her stride because she's a legend, and even goes to not confront, but to deal with the protective dragon. or Sort of in my mind, like, almost wishing to prove to herself and her family that she is still worthy to be recognised by them. But unfortunately for her, it does backfire, and she's bitten. But in her injured state, she then comes across Artemis at Mount Orthus, straining under the weight of the world. Exhausted chained all these sort of horrible things and she's broken and defeated and this is someone that zoe clearly loves as well obviously not romantically but artemis kind of saved her and she's been with her for centuries now and to, to see her and be unable to save her and then have this mocked by her father another relic from her past who Kind of rejects her as well, but still calls her family, but doesn't really mean it in a good way. Someone who is also trying to destroy her present with Artemis and her future being, you know, the world. She is defeated and tired, but still has a strong spirit and is willing to fight to protect Artemis and the world against her own father and I kind of really admire her for that and it makes it even more frustrating that she was shown as like a man-hating it kind of still has moments like that in, in the story but not as strong but to have her shown as man-hating to, at the beginning I think made it more difficult for people to kind of like her um, but I'm, I'm seeing it more now Like I, I like her more as a character as it goes on but I wish they hadn't started like, I wish she hadn't been written like that from the from the get-go, if I'm honest. But um, to see where she's come to now, I I really like it, and I'm I'm pleased to see how how this is going. And just to kind of summarize this a little bit for these two, these chapters, while interesting, do hold, Emily, a lot of issues for me. But the interesting parts center mainly on Talia and Zoe for me, who are both going through a change in many different ways. Talia is trying to understand her part in everything, both prophecy-wise and kind of even in her own life, like she doesn't really know anything about anything anymore and Zoe is trying to remember who she was and who she is and there's basically kind of like a lot of identity aspects going on here and I like that. I like that there is a sort of there is an undercurrent of exploration of identity and who you should be and who you want to be which feels very much like what Talia and Zoe are going through and honestly if that was kind of all that was going on minus the issues that I have like the Nereus story and the ridiculous prophecy and the chases aspect these would have been some really really strong chapters for me unfortunately just those other parts do kind of undermine everything a little bit more which is unfortunate but other than that these chapters they're not bad I will say that but I think they could have been better but yeah that is what I think of chapter 15 and 16 and today I have finally remembered to do question of the episode in the episode itself and of course obviously the posts will go up on social media I just have usually forgotten to say them at the end but I haven't today so this week's question of the episode is do you think it's right that the chases were made to look like a normal family, considering what we heard from Annabeth? And yes, this question is to see whether people or not agree with me, or if I just have a lot of passion about something that isn't like that big of a deal to many of this. But uh, yeah, that is this week's question in the episode, and obviously, we're going up on all of our social media, so I will be intrigued to see what you guys have to say about that. But with that coming to an end, I want to thank you all for joining me today for chapters 15 and 16. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our Ryordanverse journey. To plug where you can find our podcast, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, where could you please drop a rating of the review? I would love for more people to be able to find this podcast. We're also available on Boom, Stitcher and Deezer. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find The Best Damn Camp on various social media at Best Damn Camp on Instagram and Twitter and on Tumblr at TheBestDamnCamp.tumblr.com. If you want to email me with your own thoughts, you can email thebestdamncamp@hotmail.com, at Hotmail.com and I will read it out at the end of the show. If you want to support me making this content, check me out on Patreon at a healthy dose of Fran and be sure to check out my YouTube channel, a healthy dose of Fran, for more Percy Jackson related content. And drop me a follow at a healthy dose of Fran on Instagram and at a dose of Fran on Twitter. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your own hunter. I'll see slash speak to you guys next time. So long.